0: with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, with all of our technological advances, won't science one day be able to answer all of our questions and give us all of our knowledge? I mean, the pace of technology seems to be accelerating. We're answering questions we couldn't answer before. There were times when people would say God did something, and then later we learn, no, it was a natural cause. I mean, saying God did something doesn't get us anywhere, right? Isn't that a science stopper? I mean, isn't that God of the gaps reasoning? We just have to give science more time to figure everything out, right? I mean, after all, we get all our knowledge from science, or at least the most reliable form of knowledge from science. So we should just be patient. Instead of trying to say that God did this or God did that or God's involved somehow, natural laws can do everything, many people will say. Well, what I want to do, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because we've been to a few college campuses in recent days, uh, past couple of weeks, University of Texas at Dallas, University of, of Kentucky, University of Louisville, and thanks for all the organizers there who uh, brought us in there. We, uh, reasonable Faith uh, down there in, uh, uh, in Dallas with Alan Hainline. And then, of course, we had uh, Rachel Christie bring us to both University of Kentucky and University of Louisville. And when we're there, we had questions on science. Questions on science come up, and a lot of times these questions presuppose that science is the answer for everything. But today... I'd like to talk about nine things that science can never explain. No matter how long we have, no matter how much time we give so-called science, it will never, in principle, be able to explain these things. Now, before we get into the nine things, I want to point out that the general public often thinks that advancing Scientific technology means that all of our questions will be answered by scientists. Now, the question is, why do we think that? Because the reason I I think we think that is because we confuse empirical science with historical or forensic science. You see, advancing technology involves repeatable empirical science, whereas many of our most important questions about life involve non-repeatable historical events. For example, the origin of the universe, the origin of life, the origin of new life forms. You can't go in the laboratory and repeat those things. Those are historical questions. But we tend to lump all scientific issues under one rubric and we say, well, if we're really getting good at advancing technology, then we're going to really get good at finding natural causes for these historical questions as well. And that's not necessarily the case. Don't think that because a scientist can invent something amazing like an iPhone or a Tesla or air conditioning or computers or the Internet or whatever, that he or she can use the same method to figure out how the world began or where life came from. Those are two entirely different branches of science. Science that brings us technology involves how things operate when you harness repeatable natural laws to achieve some kind of goal, right? You can harness these natural laws to create iPhones, to create Teslas, to create the internet, to create computers, all these wonderful things. But science about the origin of the universe or the origin of life involves how things originated in the first place, including the origin of those repeatable natural laws we're using to invent things like iPhones and Teslas and the internet and computers. You see, empirical science and forensic science are entirely different branches of science that use different methods in attempt to answer different questions. Forensic science involves historical questions that cannot be repeated in the laboratory. You can't repeat the origin of the universe, or the origin of life, or the origin of new life forms in the laboratory. So just because a scientist has become really good at figuring, how, figuring out how things operate, how natural laws work, doesn't mean he's figured out how things originated. It doesn't mean that he's figured out that since natural laws are, are, uh, or or since we learn so much more about natural laws and how to harness them, that somehow he doesn't have to explain the origin of those natural laws or the origin of the universe or the origin of life or new life forms. And our friend John Lennox gives a great illustration about this. He asks his his students, uh, suppose you have a Model T Ford in front of you, the old Model T that came out over 100 years ago you know, the first real car that came off the assembly line. He asks his students this question. What explains the Model T, Henry Ford, or the laws of internal combustion? And his students think for a minute, and they say, well, actually, Dr. Lennox, you need both. You need Henry Ford to create the Model T, and then you need the laws of natural combustion to do what they do so the Model T will operate properly, obviously, If the laws of internal combustion changed every 10 minutes, the Model T wouldn't work. So you need both. You need someone to create the Model T, and you need the natural laws in order to allow the thing to continue to operate. One, Henry Ford, deals with how the Model T originated. The second, the laws deal with how the Model T operates. You need both. And just because we're really good at harnessing natural laws doesn't mean we don't need an author of those natural laws, or an author of the universe, or an author of life, or an author of our own intelligence. So we're going to get into this as the program unfolds. Now, I need to point out at the very top here that most scientific issues don't affect Christianity one way or the other. How the world normally operates by natural laws doesn't contradict the Bible, in fact, the Bible presupposes the world operates regularly by natural laws. Otherwise, uh, the, the people in the Bible would not claim that a resurrection was a miracle, a divine sign from God. They knew that people don't rise from the dead naturally. They knew that the regular order of things was, that, was that when someone died, they wouldn't rise from the dead They knew that natural laws existed. Even though they were in a pre-scientific era, they knew that things operated naturally in a repeatable way. And so when they saw something that was an exception to that, they said, ah, this is a divine sign from God. So there are some interpretations of scientific data about historical questions that are at odds with some that are at odds with some biblical interpretations of those historical questions. For example, the origin of the universe, the origin of life, the origin of new life forms. You you have some scientists saying that maybe what the Bible appears to say isn't right. But those are both interpretations. The interpretation of the scientific data and the interpretation of the Bible. Are they at odds? Well, you have to investigate to see if they really are at odds. And even if they are at odds, that doesn't necessarily mean God doesn't exist or Jesus didn't rise from the dead. It might cause some people to reevaluate how they interpret the beginning chapters of Genesis, but it wouldn't change whether or not God exists or whether or not Jesus rose from the dead the two essential truths of Christianity or the two things that need to be true, I should say, for Christianity to be true, that God must exist and Jesus rose from the dead. So there may be some issues and some questions we have that we can't answer right now. In fact, that's true not only of the Bible, but that's true of science. There are many scientific issues that we don't have answers to now. Many scientific questions we don't have answers to now. There are many biblical questions we might not have answers to now. But none of that means that there isn't a natural world out there. Or none of that means that the Bible is necessarily false. Christianity could still be true, even if we can't figure every possible question out. And so when we come back, we are going to dive into the questions, or I should say the nine things that science cannot explain in principle. It will never be able to explain these things. And you'll see what they are right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in just two minutes. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. I want to mention we had a college event delayed till next semester. To- easy for me to say. Delayed until next semester. Because of some COVID concerns. Uh, that's Winthrop University. February 8th will now be, I think, in September. So uh, if uh, you were thinking of coming to Winthrop this coming Tuesday night, don't. We're not going to be there. Although my friend Jay Warner Wallace will be out at Middle Tennessee State that same night, and we will live stream that event uh, from Middle Tennessee St- uh, State with uh, Jay Warner Wallace on our YouTube channel, Cross Examine YouTube channel. And our app, if you don't have our app, download our free app. It'll also be on our Facebook page. I think that is probably somewhere around 7 p.m., if I'm not mistaken. Maybe 8 p.m., because it's Central Time, so it would be 8 p.m. Eastern, probably. Anyway, check our website for more on that this coming Thursday. Or, sorry, Tuesday, February 8th. And then next Saturday, I will be at Whitesburg Baptist Church with my friend Brett Kunkel. We're going to be doing a apologetics conference on February 12th. And then, uh, actually, it starts on Friday night, February 11th, with Jeff Myers from Summit. Then I'll be there with Brett on February 12th. And then I'll be speaking at the Sunday morning services on Super Bowl Sunday there, Whitesburg Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama. All the details are on our website, crossexamine.org. Click on events, you'll see it there. All right, let's talk about nine things that science can never explain It can't explain these things in principle. Uh, In fact, many of these things science depends on. So, number one, the laws of logic and our ability to reason. Science relies on these things. You can't go in the laboratory and prove the laws of logic by running some kind of experiment. You need these laws in order to do the experiment. And when people say that science is the only way to get knowledge... Using the laws of logic, we can see that that's a self-defeating statement because that statement, that science is the only way to get knowledge, isn't a statement of science. It's not a scientific truth. It's a philosophical claim. Whenever you are making claims about science, that's not science itself. That's a philosophical claim. So you need one element of philosophy, i.e. the laws of logic themselves, In order to do science, we also need our ability to reason. If we can't reason, then we can't do science. All science is dependent on human beings being able to use logic and reason to arrive at conclusions. I might throw free will in here, too. If we don't have free will, we can't freely arrive at the conclusions that the data is telling us when we do a scientific experiment or historical scientific investigation. We have to use logic. We have to use reason. We have to have free will in order to do these things. Science cannot, cannot explain the laws of logic, our ability to reason, or the fact that we have free will because science needs those things in order to progress, to progress. As John Lennox has put it before, <clears throat> you know he's written extensively on, on this issue of science, he said, look, at the end of the day, there's really only two worldviews. Either mind came from matter or matter came from mind. At the end of the day, you're going to get down to one of those two things as ultimate reality. Either matter is ultimate reality, or mind is ultimate reality. All worldviews are going to boil down to those two things. Mind or matter. Well, we know that matter is composed. It must have been, therefore, put together by a composer. We also know that matter breaks down. We also know that matter is not eternal. If that's the case, the then ultimate reality must be a mind. That matter came from mind. That mind didn't come from matter, ultimately. And this is why the The first chapter of the biography we call the Gospel of John says, in the beginning was the logos, the logic, the word. That's ultimate reality, not matter. Matter by itself is dumb. (laughs) It's created, it breaks down, it's composed, and it's not eternal. So it can't be ultimate reality. Mind must be ultimate reality. All right, that's the first thing and it's really three things in there, but I've just lumped them together, that science can't explain. The second thing that science never in principle can explain are the laws of mathematics. Back in 1961, Eugene Wigner wrote a book, a book, a a paper, uh, called The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics. Why is it that we can describe the universe in terms of math? Why is the universe so describable mathematically? And he really came to no conclusion as an atheist because there's really no reason it should be that way unless this universe is put together by a mind. In fact, this universe appears to be on a mathematical grid. And we can describe it mathematically. See, math is objective and science is built on it. You really can't do science without math. You know that 2 plus 2 equals 4 more so than you know what the current theory of electrons is, for example. And the idea that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is better known because it's intuitive. It's grounded in the laws of mathematics. And those laws are necessary to do the kind of natural sciences that people mistakenly think give us all truth. Science can't explain the laws of mathematics. Science must use the laws of mathematics in order to progress. The third thing that science in principle will never be able to explain are objective moral laws and value judgments. Why? Because science is pre or is descriptive, it's not prescriptive. Science tells you what happens, it doesn't tell you what ought to happen. You say, well, I've heard Sam Harris saying that you know, you can use science to figure out what causes human beings to flourish. Well, what's, what Sam Harris is smuggling into his system is the moral standard known as human flourishing. Why? Why should human beings flourish if there's no God? Why is that the moral obligation we have? How do you get moral obligations from matter? You get moral obligations from persons, from minds. You don't get moral obligations from dirt or from a biological process known as evolution, that has no authority to tell me or you what to do. It doesn't issue commands. It just does what it does. So human flourishing, I mean, I, mean, I agree human flourishing is something we're, we're, that's morally right, but I, I think that's so because there is a God that says human beings are valuable, and we ought to seek their human flourishing, but we just can't assume that. Science might be able to help us discover what helps human beings flourish, but science can't tell us that we ought to make human beings flourish. Einstein famously said, and I'm paraphrasing, you can find the moral basis of science, but you can't find the scientific basis of morals. Because science is descriptive, it's not prescriptive. And science, by the way, depends on morality. We'll get to it here in just a second. And there are many moral truths that you know better than scientific truths. For example, you know that torturing babies for fun is wrong. It's intuitive to you. You don't even have to have anyone tell it to you. It's written on your heart. You know that that's wrong because human beings are valuable and you ought not torture them for fun. However, your theory of how electrons work may change, and this is the point that J.P. Moreland made in his book, Scientism and Secularism, and we had J.P. on the show back, uh, I think it was December 1 of 2018, and J.P., as you know, has been teaching apologetics and philosophy for many years up there at uh, Biola University out there in California, and uh, JP, uh, this podcast we did with him is very informative. If you, ha- you can only get it now on the app. You have to get the cross-examined app and go into the archive of 2018, December 1st, 2018. Listen to that podcast with JP because one of the points he makes is he says there's been like four different interpretations or theories of how electrons work over the past couple of hundred years. And he said, I could see how, say, 50 years from now, We might come up with a more precise theory of electrons, but I can't see us changing uh, our view that torturing babies for fun is wrong 50 years from now. Our theory of electrons might change, but our moral intuition that torturing babies for fun is wrong, that's not going to change. That's still going to be the same 50 years from now. So you know moral values certain moral values better than you know some scientific conclusions. How about someone who says, well, you shouldn't fudge your experiment, your experiments or your data when you're doing a scientific investigation. Well, that's a value judgment. Science can't prove that. Science needs that in order to advance. Look, science can help you make a bomb, but science can't tell you whether or not you ought to use it. Science, again, is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. Suppose someone says science is the superior way to gain knowledge. Well, that's not a scientific statement either. That's a value judgment about science. So science is is built on issues that are not scientific themselves. They're built on philosophy. And by the way... It's not necessarily true that science is a superior way to gain knowledge. Science, as I just mentioned, relies on non-scientific truths in order to do its work. And I'll explain more of these a little bit later. So, not only are the laws of logic and our ability to reason and, and our free will, that's number one, that can't be explained by science. The laws of mathematics can't be explained by science. That's number two. The third thing that can't be explained by science and never will be able to be explained by science are objective moral laws and value judgments. The fourth thing that can't be explained by science is purpose and meaning. That has to come from outside ourselves. That doesn't come you don't get purpose and meaning from analyzing molecular compositions to use chemistry as an example or You don't get meaning from observing how biological creatures operate. You don't get meaning. Meaning comes from outside the scientific realm. In fact, the most important things in life have nothing to do with science. Honey, do you love me? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Let's run some kind of experiment. No, you would never accept that, right? Is there a meaning to life? Well, that's not going to come from science. That's going to come from outside ourselves, an objective meaning. I use this analogy quite a bit because I think it communicates. How do you know that your quarterback throwing a touchdown is better than your quarterback throwing a pick six? The only way you can know that if there's a meaning to the game, a purpose to the game. If there's no meaning or purpose to the game, you can't tell the difference between those plays. Notice the meaning and the purpose comes from outside the game. Same thing is true in life. Meaning and purpose comes from outside of life. It comes from somebody beyond us. Otherwise, everything's just a matter of opinion. So science is never going to be able to discover the purpose or meaning of life. That comes from outside of science and outside of life itself. Much more in just a minute. You're listening to Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. If you want to know more about the evidence for Christianity, if you want to know more about philosophy, more about theology, more about apologetics, you want to be able to engage this culture with the truth, check out ses.edu. That's where I went to seminary, Southern Evangelical Seminary.edu. Great online classes. It's all virtual now. You can take classes from anywhere. In fact, I was talking to a, a kid at the University of Louisville who actually hails from. Aruba. I'd say, well, I'd go back to Aruba and then go to SES from Aruba. That's what you want to do. So check out ses.edu. Great courses over there. Great professors. It's the place to learn philosophy, theology, and apologetics. Today, we're talking about nine things that science can never explain in principle. No matter how much time it has, it's never going to explain in principle Uh, these things. And so far, we've talked about the laws of logic, reason, and free will. We talked about the laws of mathematics. We talked about objective moral laws and value judgments. We talked about purpose and meaning that must come from outside of ourselves. We can have our own individual purpose and meaning, but not objective purpose and meaning. We can make stuff up. Yeah, we get that, but it's not objective. It's not independent of our own thoughts and minds. And look, if there is no God and there is no eternity, then, no, then, then this life ultimately means nothing. It means that we're just going to die one day and become worm food, and it doesn't really matter ultimately whether you live as a missionary or a murderer because everything's just going to end. In fact, the whole universe is going to go to heat death. All right, the fifth thing that science will never be able to explain is the origin of the universe itself. In fact, a number of years ago, I was at uh, the University of Michigan. A young man got up to the microphone after I had gone through the evidence for the cosmological argument, which says that everything that has a beginning has a cause. The universe had a beginning, therefore the universe had a cause. And. And if space, matter, and time had a beginning, which is what even atheists are admitting now, then whatever created space, matter, and time can't be made of space, matter, and time. In other words, the cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal in order to choose to create out of nothing, and also intelligent to have a mind in order to make such a choice. So I explained all that, and this young man got up there and he said, I used to be a Christian, but I'm an atheist now. My name's John. And he said, you're giving a God of the gaps argument. And I said, well, what do you mean by God of the gaps argument to see what, to see if he knew what it meant? And he said, well, you know, the God of the gaps is, you know, you're saying that God did this when one day we're going to find a natural cause for all of nature. And he said, um, that's what you're doing here. You're plugging God into the gap of your knowledge. You're saying God created the universe when one day we'll figure out a natural law did it. And I said to him, him, John, if the universe came into existence out of nothing, which is what the evidence seems to show right now, then there is no way you're ever going to find a natural cause for all of nature. And he said, oh, yes, it will. Just give science more time. And so I said, well, John, you know what? That sounds a lot like faith. We haven't discovered it yet, but give science more time. I have faith that science will find it. That's a faith position. Now, you might say maybe it's a well-placed faith position. But that's going back to the point we made at the top of the show. We're confusing empirical science with forensic science when we say that. Oh, we're getting real good at empirical science. We're getting real good at technology. But technology is not, in, is not the same kind of science you need in order to figure out where the universe came from. We're not trying to harness natural laws when we're looking at the creation of the universe. We're trying to figure out where natural laws came from to begin with. That's the whole point. So I said, it's a faith position, John. And he said, no, 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 just give science more time. And I said, John, you're never going to find a natural cause for all of nature. Nature is the effect. It can't be the cause. If nature is the effect, it by definition can't be the cause because you can't create yourself. Nature had a beginning. If nature had a beginning, whatever created nature can't be made of nature. In other words, it must be something supernatural, something beyond the natural, something we would call supernatural. Just like we call Superman as someone beyond the man. Well, when we say supernatural, we're saying something beyond nature. By the way, no extra charge for this. Don't forget to pre-order our book, Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God, comes out May 3rd. It's got Superman in it. It's got Captain America in it. It's got Iron Man in it. It's got Star Wars and so many other superheroes in it. And uh, if you pre-order it in about a month from now, we're going to be able to give you the audio book for free. So just go to Amazon or wherever you get books, pre-order it, save the receipt. And pretty soon we're going to have the HollywoodHeroesBook.com website up, and you're going to be able to submit your receipt, and we're going to send you the audio version for free if you pre-order the paper copy. It's a fun book. It's going to really help people who watch movies and even help parents with their kids Uh, teach them life lessons, apologetics, theology, and philosophy by watching movies. So check it out. Hollywood heroes. Uh, My son and I wrote it, who, uh, by the way, is also a graduate of Southern Evangelical Seminary. Anyway, back to the University of Michigan. I just thought of Superman and said that. Uh, So I I said, John, you're, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to find a natural cause for all of nature. And he persisted, say, you know, give science more time. I said, I said, John, for you to say that if you give science more time, we're going to find a natural cause for all of nature, that would be like me saying, if you give me more time, I'm going to figure out that one day I gave birth to my own mother. No. (laughs) In principle, you're never going to find it. You're never going to find a natural cause for all of nature, just like you're never going to find that you're the cause for your mother. Your mother had to pre-exist you in order for you to exist. And by the way, this is not a God of the gaps argument. We're not arguing from a gap in our knowledge. We don't just lack a natural explanation. We have positive, empirically verifiable evidence for an intelligent cause. When space, matter, and time come into existence out of nothing, it can't be a natural cause. It, by definition, has to be a supernatural cause. It has to be something beyond nature. Now, we don't know if this is the God of the Bible yet. We don't have enough attributes here. It could be the God of the Bible. But we have to see if Jesus rose from the dead. And when we do recognize that Jesus rose from the dead, then we can say that the same being that walked out of the tomb 1,989 years ago is the same being in whose divine nature created the universe out of nothing. But you don't get that from one argument. This is a mistake some Christians make. Oh, yeah, cosmological argument. It's got to be Jesus. No, it doesn't. I mean, it might be, and I think it is after you get more arguments. But the argument alone doesn't get you all the way there. It gets you part of the way there. But it gets you six attributes, spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent. That's pretty impressive for one argument. And I might say that my friend John here has got the natural law of the gaps argument going, right? We haven't found a natural law yet, but we will someday. And even if you want to say there's a multiverse behind all this, you're still not going to get rid of the need for an absolute beginning, First of all, there's no evidence for a multiverse, but even if there is, you know, because some atheists are saying, well, it's just our local presentation that appears to have a beginning. Even if you're right that this is just a local presentation, you can't go on an infinite regress of causes. You've got to terminate at an uncaused first cause. And even Alexander Vilenkin, one of the proponents, agnostic proponent of the multiverse, Theory says, look, even a multiverse needs an absolute beginning. Now, he's not, he doesn't believe in God, but he doesn't think that, or he, he, he doesn't think God is the cause. But what else could it be? When we say God, we mean a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent cause who didn't have a beginning, whose essence equals his existence, who is the unmoved mover, the uncreated creator. It, might, it may or may not be Jesus. It is, I think, as I say, looking at the evidence. But philosophically, you got to get back to an uncaused first cause. Philosophically, regardless of what the scientific evidence says. You don't need science to know the universe had a beginning, even though the scientific evidence is showing us that it appears it did have a beginning. You just just know you can't go on an infinite regress of causes. There can't be an infinite number of days before today. If there were an infinite number of days before today, today never would have gotten here. Yet today is here, so there can only be a finite number of days before today. And if there's a finite number of days before today, then whatever created time must be timeless. And if that being is timeless, he didn't have a beginning. Yeah, that's the point. So also, let me just reemphasize. There, people are going to bring up the natu- or, or, or the God of the gaps argument all the time. You're not arguing from a gap in your knowledge. You don't just lack a natural explanation. You have positive, empirically verifiable evidence for an intelligent cause when you see all of nature coming into existence out of nothing. I would argue the same thing when it comes to the beginning of life. You don't just lack a natural explanation for the genetic code. You have positive, empirically verifiable evidence for an intelligent being when you see something like a a code. When you see a, a, look, if you see John loves Mary on the sand, you know that an intelligent being did that. You don't think nature did that. And when you see a message that's 3.5 billion letters long in every one of your 40 trillion cells, that should that should point you to the same conclusion because you know that natural laws don't create messages like that, only minds do. So, you're not arguing from what you don't know, you're arguing from what you do know. All right, number 6, the 6th thing that science in principle can never explain is the origin of the laws of nature themselves, which is related To the point I just made, the origin of the universe. Where do these laws come from? You know, scientists are trying to say, well, all this can be explained by natural laws. Well, really, where do the laws then come from? And why are they so persistent and consistent? Why are the laws going in the same direction? Why don't they change? All material things change, the laws don't. Why? In other words, all material things change that they govern, but the laws themselves don't change. And they're very precise and fine-tuned, which is the next point I'm about to get to. It was uh, Paul Davies, who is an agnostic astronomer, I believe, from Arizona State University, who back in 2006 had an article in the New York Times that said the title of it was Taking Science on Faith. And what he was saying was that scientists take on faith the idea that the natural laws just exist, sort of as a brute fact. And he's asking the question, well, why do they exist? And he said his inbox after he wrote the article was filled with vitriol saying, don't ask questions like that. They're just there. Oh, they're just there? Why are they there? Laws come from lawgivers. The universe had a beginning, it seems. And the laws that govern them had a beginning as well. Why are they the way they are? Why don't they change? Why are they so direction-oriented? It seems to be the product of a mind. And science can't explain these things. Why? Because science relies on the laws of nature in order to do its work. It depends on the laws of nature. All right, number seven. The fine-tuning of the universe can't be explained by science. Why is the universe fine-tuned? Why, as Stephen Hawking said, that if you were to change the expansion rate of the universe by a thousand million million a second after the Big Bang, by one in a thousand million million a second after the Big Bang, the universe would have contracted back on itself or never developed galaxies? Why was the expansion rate so fine-tuned from the very beginning? It seems, you can't say it evolved to that point, it started there. It seems to me the same being that created space, matter, and time is the same being that made the expansion rate precisely what it needed to be from the very beginning for this universe to be here. Again, a multiverse doesn't help this either. We'll talk more right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, back in two minutes. We're talking about nine things that science can never explain in principle. We're on number seven, the fine-tuning of the universe. We talked about Stephen Hawking's point, who was an atheist, but he admitted that the universe appeared to be fine-tuned. Christopher Hitchens, who I debated a couple of times, he also admitted this was a real hard problem for atheists to answer. A gravity is fine-tuned. The strength of gravity compared to the strong force is fine-tuned to 1 in 10 to the 40th power. That's one in one part with 40 zeros following it. It's really hard to get your head around that number. The ratio of the mass of the electron to the proton is fine-tuned to one in 10 to the 37th power. Again, that's one part in one with 37 zeros following it. Hugh Ross gives a great illustration of that to try and comprehend that kind of precision. He said visualize this, cover the entire North American continent in dimes all the way up to the moon to a height of about 239,000 miles. Now, in comparison, he says, the money to pay the entire U.S. federal government debt, which is now about $30 trillion, would cover about one square mile uh, less than two feet deep in dimes. But he's saying cover the entire North American continent in dimes up to 239,000 miles, all the way to the moon, and then pile those same dimes from here to the moon on a billion other continents the same size as North America, paint one dime red, mix it into the billions of piles of dimes, blindfold a friend, and ask him to pick out that one red dime. The odds that he will pick out the one red dime are one... In 10 to the 37th power. You know what the answer to this is? There's no chance this would have happened by chance. Okay? The universe is fine-tuned because there's a fine-tuner. There's a designer. I'm reminded of what what Jim Carrey said in Dumb and Dumber when the girl he was after said, oh, there's only about a one in a million chance I'll date you. He said, so you're saying there's a chance? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's no chance. In fact, by the way, chance. When scientists use the word chance, what does that mean? Does chance cause things? No, chance doesn't cause a thing. Chance is a word we use to describe mathematical possibilities. Chance doesn't cause anything. When scientists use the word chance, what they really mean is, uh, we don't know. Look, the universe is fine-tuned. And it requires some kind of fine-tuner. And science itself, by the way, requires on these fine-tuned constants in order to work. We wouldn't even be able to do science without these, because there wouldn't be a universe and there wouldn't be us. <laughs> these things have to be the way they are. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here and we couldn't do science and cause and effect wouldn't even exist, probably, because there would be no universe, so there would be no cause and effect to try and measure. And by the way, when you're doing science, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to figure out what particular cause caused a particular effect? And when you're asked the question, why does God exist? You ought to say because you ought to say because I know God by his effects. If if the effect is a creation, and we do have an effect known as a creation, the cause must be a creator. If the effect is design or fine-tuning, then there must be a cause, a designer, a fine-tuner, somebody out there who has done this. If the effect is a moral law written on our hearts, there must be a cause known as the moral law giver. If there's there's an effect known as reason, we can all reason, there must be a cause, a mind out there that has given us the ability to do this. I could say more, but I got to move on. Number eight, science will never explain the rules objectives and value of science. For example, sometimes the rules of science are this. Science only looks for natural causes. Well, that's a rule imposed on science from outside. Philosophy imposes that. Some philosopher says that. That's why I say that science doesn't say anything scientists do. You can't set up the rules of science by science. You have to impose the rules from the outside. So if they say science looks for natural causes, then you're going to have to say, are you saying archaeology is not a science? You know, when we when Napoleon's forces pulled out the Rosetta Stone and saw those three languages on that ancient stone, um, did they say it had to be a natural cause that etched all those languages into the stone? No, they said it's got to be an intelligent being that did that. Or what about crimes and homicides? What our friend J. Warner Wallace is engaged in investigating. Right. Does he have to conclude that if some guy's murdered, it had to be a natural cause? No, you're looking at an historical event. You're looking backwards in time. And many times when you do that, you arrive at an intelligent being, not a natural cause. Or the search search for extraterrestrial intelligence, SETI. You know, we have our antennas tuned to the heavens. If we find a message from outer space, it'll prove that there's intelligent life out there. Even a message that says, we are here. Send more Beatles songs, right? We've gotten them. We've heard them. We would know that there had to be an alien of some kind out there because we're not going to get messages back from natural laws. How about if uh, someone says that science only deals with the repeatable? Well, again, that would rule out archaeology. It would rule out homicides, uh, criminal investigations, as we just mentioned. It would rule out cosmogony, the origin of the universe studies. Cosmologists out there would be out of a job. It would rule out paleontology, the study of ancient life and fossils. You wouldn't be able to study ancient life if scientists said, well, this is not science. Well, you would be able to do it, but you wouldn't be considered a scientist if somebody imposes a rule from outside that says science only deals with the repeatable. Paleontology is not repeatable. Fossils are not repeatable. They're historical things that happened in the past. And by the way, both evolution and creation or intelligent design are Historical sciences. If you're going to say science only deals with the repeatable, you might as well stop saying that evolutionists are scientists because they're not dealing with the repeatable. They're looking in the past to try and discover how life got here. And the same thing is true with people who support ID, intelligent design. Also, if they're going to say that only material things exist. Again, science can't prove that. That's, some, that's, that's a, a value or a uh, assertion you're imposing on science. And if ma- only material things exist, then why should we believe that statement or anything else you say about it? Or anything you, else you say about science or any other sort of claim you might make? Because if you're just a molecular machine, if you're just a moist robot, if you're completely driven by the laws of physics and only material things exist, then thinking shouldn't work, and neither should science. You need an immaterial realm to follow the evidence where it leads. And this goes back to our first point you gotta have free will, you gotta have reason, you gotta have logic to do science. Without those things, you can't do science. How about when someone says um, science uh, should discover this or should discover that? Again, that's not a scientific statement, that's a value statement about science, or it's a statement of what the objectives of science are. This is why we say science doesn't say anything scientists do. All data needs to be gathered. All data needs to be interpreted. How do you interpret the data? Well, that involves philosophy. That involves reason. That involves things that come from outside of science. Science can't prove these things. Science needs these things in order to actually operate. So, scientists are making interpretations. Science doesn't say a word. Science, scientists say things. All right, the ninth thing that science can't explain is, ironically, science itself. And I've I've touched on some of these as we've gone through. But science can't explain things it uses in order to do what it does. Really, scientists do science. Uh, It can't explain that truth exists and can be known. It can't explain that laws, the laws of nature are orderly and consistent, as we've already mentioned. It presupposes those laws. It presupposes truth. It can't explain that all effects have causes. That's the law of causality. You can't prove that by science. You need that in order to do science. It can't prove that causes in the past were like those in the present. You have to assume the principle of uniformity in order to get at the past. You have to assume that in order to discover things in the past. If natural laws work different in the past than they know now, than they do now, then we can't discover with any confidence what happened in the past. That's what the principle of uniformity brings. Science can't prove that principle; it has to assume that principle. Now, it's probably a good assumption. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, it's something that can't be proven by science. Uh, science can't prove that our senses are giving us accurate information about the real world. That's realism. And you have to assume realism in order to do science because if your senses aren't reliable, then neither is science. Science can't prove the immaterial laws of logic and mathematics that apply to the, natural, uh, the, the material world. We've, we've already mentioned that. Uh, free will, we've already mentioned. Um, science can't explain how we can make rational inferences from the data to, establishes, to establish true premises and draw valid conclusions. Again, science must presuppose this. Science must also presuppose that we should report our results accurately, that objective moral values exist. So, science can't even explain itself. Look, you can be a philosopher and not a scientist, but you can't be a scientist and not a philosopher, Because science is built on philosophy. This is why when people complain, Frank, you're not a trained scientist, right? I'm not a trained scientist, but I am a trained philosopher. And what philosophy does is it analyzes things like science to see if they're going in the right direction. doesn't mean I know everything about uh, every scientific endeavor. Of course I don't. No one does, actually. But philosophy is the, the foundation, not only of science, but of every academic endeavor. In fact, when you get a Ph.D., the Ph.D. stands for philosophy, whether it's philosophy of physics, biology, history, whatever it is. Philosophy, right thinking about reality, laws of logic, free will, all these things, they're necessary to do any of this. And the problem is, is that many of our atheistic friends deny that we have any of these things. They deny we have free will. They deny there's an immaterial realm. They deny objective moral values, and yet they're trying to say that science can explain everything. It 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 can't in principle. So science can't explain any of these things and never will be able to do so. It can't explain the laws of logic, can't explain the laws of mathematics, can't explain objective moral laws and value judgments, can't explain meaning and purpose, the origin of the universe, the origin of the laws of nature, the fine-tuning of the universe, the rules, objectives, and values of science, nor science itself, ladies and gentlemen. All right, great being with you. Check out our website, crossexamine.org. That's cross examined with a D on the end of it, .org, and I'll be back here next week, Lord willing. God bless. See you then.